Matthew 24 in your Bibles this morning. Gospel of Matthew chapter 24. We're going to read the first seven verses of this chapter. This chapter in God's Word is very, very meticulously located. A lot of details. Um, and there is so much in this chapter that um, if I dealt with all of it, we would be here for several hours. But anyway, and I know you're not willing to do that. So, or some of you aren't. Some of you, I've heard your bellies growl already. Uh, anyway, um, you know, back several months ago, the Lord really put it on my heart about us being prepared. The more, the more time that passes, the more um, significant that it is that we are prepared. I hope that you understand what I just said. Because, you know, every day that passes, we're closer to the coming of the Lord anyway, right? Or every day that passes and we live, we're closer to our, our last day on earth. Now... Neither one of those things we know when they're going to happen. You don't know the day or the hour that you're, you will be your last. We don't know the day or the hour when Jesus is coming back. But we do know this. He gave us a promise. Amen. And those promises are scattered throughout the text of Scripture. In the process of those things, He oftentimes gave to us indicators. Gave us little signs, gave us little things that would help us along the way. The warnings, again, are in multiple places. We can go to the Old Testament and see them. And we can see what God is saying to the nation of Israel. But we can also apply them and see them. We've seen that numerous times in the minor prophets. When we get to the New Testament and Jesus' ministry is in, in full force. I mean, He is... He is moving forward at, a, at the right pace. God has got him in the right place, the right time for all of the things that he ministered for. This one event here in Matthew 24 is most interesting because it is perhaps the most detailed part of what Jesus verbally said to the disciples while he was here on earth in his ministry. And we're going to look at just a small portion of it, of this chapter. Because of late we've been looking at the signs of the times and understanding the signs of the times. Now, we know that no man is to give or predict an hour or day in which Jesus is coming. Does everybody understand that? Because we don't know. It would be very foolish for any of us to say, Jesus is coming back in you know, May 28th of 2024. I'd be foolish to say that. Now, if he does, you know, I'm just a, you know... That's a prophet. I, did, I, I didn't know. All right, I didn't know it was there. But anyway, uh, many have attempted to do that in years past, and they, they, have been, they have been foolish in doing so, and they, you, know, you don't hear from them anymore you know, because they missed it. You know, because Jesus said himself, he said, no man knows the hour. No, no they, only my Father in heaven. The angels don't know. You know and, and God did it that way on purpose. So, with that being said, the disciples and Jesus are here in Matthew 24, and they ask some questions. 
And the questions they ask are very pertinent because they know all the indications that Jesus has given to them before he's telling them, hey guys, I'm leaving, I'm going away. You know, and, and so they are understanding. They're beginning to comprehend more and more that Jesus is leaving, going away. But, but he's also given that promise, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. John tells us the fact that he is coming back. So Jesus' earthly ministry here is coming to a close. And as they ask these questions, the, one of the big questions is, what's the end of the age? Or when will you come back? We're going to read it here in just a second. But, but each one of, uh, of the things that Jesus mentioned, I think, is worthy of some attention that we give it. And I've got, some, uh, I've got some things a little bit later on, statistically, that we will see. And I don't want to bore you with statistics, but what I find is that it's an amazing thing that, that God said it here. You know, this is more than 2,000 years ago, and here we are living in the day. It's like, wow, these things are they're really happening. You know, it shouldn't really catch us by surprise, but sometimes when, when God says something in his word, and then it's like it happens right before our very eyes, we're like, this is the amazing thing that God said, and, and, it, and we're, we're excited, we're thrilled. I get excited about it, because God said something, and now we're in that place or position. It's happening right before our very eyes, like when he talks about the, the stuff going on in the Middle East. I mean, we knew it was going to happen, right? I mean, it really didn't catch us by surprise, where, but yet we're still a little shocked. You know, wow, it's happening right now. Right now. We think maybe it's supposed to happen years from now. No, 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 it's going on right now. Let's look at the text of Scripture. I want to read the first seven verses of this passage. Watch what happens. The Bible says in verse 1, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him for to show him the Buildings of the temple. They were excited about the building. Nothing wrong with that. But watch what Jesus said in verse 2. See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Let me pause here for just a second. What Jesus said is that this temple was going to be destroyed. He's talking about the physical temple, the building there on the, uh, uh, the, the wall of the city of Jerusalem. I've been there at that site. I've seen that place. You, uh, many of you have heard about that. that the, it's called the Wailing Wall. You know what I'm referring to? Or the Eastern Wall, they refer to it. Or Western Wall, I'm sorry. That's where the Jews go and pray. They, that's the closest place they can get to the, the place where the temple stood in the days that Jesus was talking about. Well, guess what? That temple that Jesus was there, seen, the disciples seen, it doesn't, it's not there anymore. That actually, what, there was a fulfillment of this prophecy when Jesus said, not one stone shall be left upon another. And there are scattered stones around that area. You can, you can stand there in, in Jerusalem and you can see the stones, I mean large stones. There are tours you can take and get really close to them. And some of them they don't want you to get near and touch, you know, for safety reasons and, and what have you. But you can see those, those places there and, and Jesus was, was accurate. You know, every word he says is accurate. Can I say, yeah, you know, get amen on that. So, so every time Jesus spoke something, it was accurate. It was true. It was going to happen. It did happen in those days. 
It happened actually in 70 A.D. You can go back and look, look historically. When Titus came into Jerusalem, he destroyed the city of Jerusalem. Not one stone was left upon another. So that was a fulfillment of prophecy that Jesus spoke in Matthew 24. Now let's see what happens. Verse 3. Now as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Whoa. Those are the questions. When shall these things be? Now, mind you, Jesus did not give, him specific, give them specific dates. But also let me remind you that the Mount of Olives is situated in such a place where if they're standing on top of the Mount of Olives, you can look down and see the temple site. You can see the location, the beauty of that temple that was built in those days. It was very, very visible. But then they wanted to know when, when would all this happen. They're thinking, would it happen in their lifetime? Yeah, John was actually still alive when it happened. Then, what, what's be the sign of thy coming? What's, what about the end of the age? Now it gets very, very interesting. Look at verse 4. Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in divers places. I'm going to go ahead and read verse number 8. Watch what he says very carefully. All these are the beginning of sorrow. Our Father, we pray that you bless the reading of your word. I pray that you give us the help that we need, strength that we need, wisdom that we need. As we look into this passage of Scripture, Lord, I pray that you would cleanse from sin, fill me afresh with our spirit. May the words that I speak only be what you want, nothing more, nothing less. Lord, speak to hearts, I pray. May your Holy Spirit do a great work now as we focus our attention upon this passage and, and simply being prepared for your coming. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Of all the subjects in the Bible, there's none, I think, today more relevant than the coming of the Lord or being prepared. I think that for all of man's existence on the earth, every age of time, every century that has passed, we all, every, every person, every church, every preacher of the truth should, should warn the people and prepare the people to be prepared for the coming of the Lord. And the reason we do that is because it was, there's a term that we use for that. It's the imminent return, meaning that it could happen at any time. The Apostle Paul thought it would happen in his lifetime while he was still ministering on the earth. 
John thought it was, even though he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, and, and we have that great closing book of the entire Bible, the Revelation. Remember, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, not the revelation of John. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he gives to us that book to help us understand certain things. And John, I think that John no doubt thought that Jesus would come while he was maybe on that island all by himself. You know, sometimes people think that, well, that's cruel and unusual punishment. John was having the time of his life. I mean, he, he, it wouldn't have happened in any other way. God allowed it. God put him on that island on purpose so that, so that God could give him that revelation. And we have it. We have it. He said, write him down in a book. And John did. And we have it today. Isn't that amazing? So what are these? If we, if we look at this passage of Scripture, and I know, and I don't mean to be so redundant about this one subject, but I think it is necessary that we understand a lot of the things that come about and a lot of things that we need to be prepared for because, listen, let's be honest. Some of you here today, if you're honest with me, you're not ready to meet God. Now, some of you are. Some of you are like, whoa, let's go. I'm ready to meet Jesus, all right? I'm not getting a load up today, but, I mean, you're still ready. Right? Okay, you're ready. If something happened to you and you're on your way home and you never made it back to another service, you're ready to meet Jesus, all right? All right, but listen, listen. Some of you aren't ready. And you know deep down in your heart that you're not ready. There's some things in your life that needs to be fixed. The book of Amos says this, says prepare to meet thy God. When should we prepare? Now. Or maybe yesterday. So so with that being said, everything Jesus says is, is relevant to today. But here's the thing. The things that he talks about, and they have been going on ever since the days of Jesus walking on the face of the earth, but they have become more intense. They've intensified over time. And I'm going to show you that as we move through this text and, and point out some things and give you just a few statistical things. All right. Again, I don't want to bore you with those things, but I want to show you that what Jesus said, if he said... Uh, uh, in verse number two, that the temple would not, there would not be one stone left upon another. And it came to pass. Don't you think that everything else that he said would come to pass? Yeah, it's, it, it's going to happen. I want you to look, look at this with me. I want to bring you a message this morning on understanding the signs of the times. And I know that was the title a couple of weeks ago and probably... A few weeks before that and, and all that stuff. But I don't, I don't have any other title, okay? It's just understanding the signs of the times. So this is, I don't know, phase 27 or something? I don't know. The first thing that I noticed in the text, let's go to verse number 4. Now, I've, I've kind of given you a little bit of background of verse 1, 2, and, and even verse 3 is they're on top of Mount Olives. They ask the questions, very pertinent questions and all that. But what we're interested in is Jesus' answer. So his answer begins in verse number 4, and the first thing he says is this, deception. One of the things that we need to be concerned about in, order, and in understanding the signs of the times is that there is a great deception that ensues. Now, how many would agree with me today that there's a lot of deception going on? 
Okay, now, so the deception that's going on is, is, I'm talking about a spiritual deception, a deception that is even within the realm of Christianity. There's a lot of deception going on. What do you mean by that, preacher? So I, I want to share this. One of the biggest issues of today is the deception of the truth. Listen, listen, we have the truth. The truth is the Word of God, and the Word of God is true. But there's a lot of deception when it comes to this book. Some people don't want to, well, it really doesn't say that. I've had that said to me, I don't know how many times I said, really? When somebody, when you give them a verse of scripture, you read a passage and you, you tell them that, hey, salvation is by grace through faith. Well, it really doesn't mean that. Well, if it doesn't mean that, then what does it mean? And they don't have an answer. Which shows their ignorance. And I don't mean that derogatory. Just ignorance means unlearned. So when a person is unlearned in the word of God, what happens? They can easily be deceived. Here's the thing that I want you to understand. Here's the thing that I try to do with you. Is to give you information about the word of God. So that you will be learned about the scripture. So that you will not be deceived if somebody comes knocking on your door or somebody meets you uh, on an escalator somewhere or at the gas pump somewhere, uh, wherever it is, if somebody meets you and they attempt to talk to you about some spiritual things that you are not deceived. It is important, it is an imperative in these days that we know and that we understand the truth of God's word. Satan has produced his lies over and over and over again. And, and, and what he has caused is people to, to uh, deny the accuracy of the word of God. It, the book, the Bible is looked upon as a fable, as a storytelling time, as something weird or, or something cosmic or, or something that comes out as a Star Wars saga. I don't know what people, some people are thinking of. But listen to me, we find all all of our truth in this book, in the pages of this book, from the very first word, in the beginning, God, to the final amen in the revelation. The saddest part is this. A lot of people who call themselves Christians are deceived. And really, it's because there's a lack of understanding, a lack of uh, of knowledge and maybe maybe not learned. And I'm not saying that you have to know Hebrew and Greek and be able to dissect all of that. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is at least spend some time with God in the Word of God so that you can learn and be able to converse with somebody intelligently about the truth. If you don't know the truth, how are you going to explain it to somebody else? But here's a problem. Here's a greater problem. If we don't know the truth, we can easily be deceived. Did you know that there are some people who actually deny the coming of Jesus Christ? Oh, he's not coming back. That's what they say. Well, here's my thing. Who are they? Peter said it this way. Uh, he, he said it this way, where? That, he said in the days the scoffers are going to come and, and those who disbelieve, those who deny the accuracy of the word of God or, or even deny the truth of God's word, they're going to say, where's the promise of his coming? Or since the fathers lived a hundred years ago, he, had, he hadn't come and I doubt he's going to come anyway. 
Just because he hasn't come and you haven't seen it in your lifetime doesn't mean he's not going to come. That's basically Peter's answer. He is saying this, that those who deny and scoff at the word of God are going to doubt the validity of what Jesus said. They're going to deny his words. They're, going to, they're not going to say, well, he, he said he was going to come. Where, where, when's he going to come? He's coming. The timetable of the Lord is very different than ours. Don't we live in that world of instant everything? You know, if you have to you pull in the drive-thru and you have to wait more than two minutes, you get upset. Huh? I thought this was a fast food drive-thru. I've got to wait here for two minutes. Come on. Start blowing the horn. Don't be horn cussing. There, there are unscriptural and very foolish interpretations that cause harm to the truth as well. The, 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 the issue is a, a lack of desire to properly study the Word of God. I've dealt with this numerous occasions uh, with, in different sections of America. I, I've dealt with it overseas at times where, where they, don't look, they don't look at the truth of the Word of God. And, and so that, that, that causes confusion. Can I just throw one out at you? And I don't know your background, but I know I've dealt with this. I know it's settled in my heart. I can take you to the Word of God and show you exactly how it is explained because I've spent years studying this truth. All right? Listen. Listen to me now. There are some who think that they have to have a second work of grace They have to be able to speak in an unknown language called tongues in order to receive the Spirit of God. Listen, that's a fallacy. It's it's a denial of the truth of God's Word. It brings harm to the sacred scriptures. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? The Bible explains it this way. Let me me go this step. I need to take it one step further because some of you look confused. The word tongue in the Bible is a known language or dialect. Somebody has to know the language. Somebody has to know the dialect before they can speak it. To sound off a, uh, some, some gibberish where you don't know what you're saying, that is qualifies, listen to me carefully, that qualifies as satanic in its influence. 100%. 100%. And so you, you, it is, I've traveled overseas enough to know that standing in a pulpit and looking at a group of people who don't understand English, I need somebody to convey the message to them. And that's what Paul was explaining in Corinthians, that if you do, if somebody does speak and, and, and there's no one to interpret that, what good is it? Right? If I had someone from the Philippines to come here and speak in Tagalog or somebody from Cambodia and speak in Khmer or somebody from a different, a different country to come in and speak to you and there was no interpreter, what good, what benefit is it? Is there any glory in it at all? No, everybody would walk out the door confused not knowing one single word that was spoken and that has no merit, no profit. It does not glorify God at all. Here's what I'm saying. There are many who are 
deceiving others saying that we've got to be able to do this in order to to experience God's goodness and God's grace and, and even to go to heaven. That's not true, my friend. It's just not, it's just not true. And what, that, what, what has happened is that there is a false interpretation of the Word of God. What I'm saying and what Jesus is saying is that there's a lot of deception that's going on. Everybody understand that? Listen, it has intensified since the days of Jesus. The deception. The closer we get to his coming, the greater the deception comes along. There, I think there's a solution. There's a solution to that. And I just gave you one of many things that could happen uh, uh, that in, as far as a misinterpretation or the fallacy of that or the foolishness of, of those things. And, and I'm not calling them fools. I'm just saying this. If we don't take the Word of God and we don't study the Word of God and we don't handle the Word of God properly, then what happens is man's opinion gets in the way and we lose sight of what God wants to say and wants to give us in His Word. And so with that, we have a a problem. So the solution is very simple. Focus on what God says in his word, this word. Everybody got me? Focus on this and let the Holy Spirit of God teach us and guide us and instruct us in the truth of his way. And if we would simply ask him, Lord, I need help understanding this passage of scripture. You know what? He just might give you the understanding of it. I will say this. When I first started pastoring, going to school and all that, first year Bible college, every Bible college student knows everything. Man, this is great. And then you will realize a month in, you have no absolutely nothing. And then by the end of four years of college, you realize that you know less than you did when you went in. That's, that's about the size of it. It is a lifetime's work. A lifetime's work of studying the Word of God. There are some, I wish I knew then what I know now about certain things of the Word of God. But I wasn't ready for that. God didn't have me prepared for that. There are some things that I've had to grow and learn over the years, over 30-something years of ministry, whatever. But, but, but God, has, He has to be the one to guide. He has to be the one to instruct. He has to be the one to lead and give, give that information. I couldn't handle it back then as I could a little bit later in my life. All I'm saying is there's deception. Listen, there's deception about salvation. There are some think that you got to work your way to heaven. Some think you got to be baptized. No, the Bible is very plain. Salvation comes by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you did it by your works, you would boast about it. Look what I have done. I have made my way to heaven. But because it is by grace through faith, and we can't do anything about that, we have to give all the glory, all the praise, all the honor to our God in heaven for our salvation don't be deceived about salvation because if you have not put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and him alone you will not go to heaven you will go to hell as fast as you can can spit your name out you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone don't be deceived about salvation there is a great deception too about godly living uh oh some think it's unnecessary to live godly, to live holy. What happened to the verse of Scripture? Did we forget that it's in the Word of God? Be ye holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. 
Did we forget the fact that the Bible tells us that that we need to live godly in this present world because of the persecution, because of the things that are going on? They that live godly will suffer persecution. Do we understand that that we need to, to, that we live in a world and sometimes we deny the power of God, but we need to live holy and acceptable lives unto God. It's a reasonable thing. God doesn't ask us to do anything unreasonable. He just wants us to live holy. It is necessary don't be deceived by that there's a deception too about a relationship with the Lord some think it's not important oh that's where they are very wrong I don't know how many people I run into and I ask them one of my first questions is where do you go to church oh I don't need to go to church okay well that tells me something right there They don't need fellowship with God's people. Don't need to work on their relationship with Jesus. I met a guy on the plane. I was telling my Sunday school class. I met a guy. I don't know. I've been on so many planes the last couple of weeks. I don't know which one it was. But anyway, I do know he was Cambodian. His English was perfect. And his, his, his mom was a refugee uh, to America. And he lives in Anchorage, Alaska. I thought, wow, that's interesting. Cambodia, they have a hot season, and then they have a hotter season. And then they have the hottest season. And then it might rain once in a while. So from there to Anchorage, Alaska, I thought, wow, that's got, you know, so, so anybody, if you fly, sometimes you get on the plane, you want to put your headphones on, you want to block out everything, and you want to sit, you want to go to sleep, Right? That means you, you do that, you get on a plane, and you want to just relax. You want to chillax, and you just want, I don't want to, don't bother me. I just want to, I want to read, I want to listen to something, just don't bother me. He gets in, steps in the seat. He is a chatterbox and a half. I've been up since 3 a.m., all right? I'm already confused on the time. Been up since 3 a.m., and he wants to talk. I want you want what do you want to talk about at this hour of the day? Come on, man. I appreciate you. I love you in the Lord. You know, I have to put that in the Lord there. All right. I love you in the Lord. Don't don't no. I'm I'm just kidding about some of that. That's in my mind. Anyway, he wants to talk. So I ask him where he's from. He tells me, and, and, and all that. He says, what do you do? Y'all know where this went, right? And then he asked me a very unusual question. He said this. He said, what is, what is a priority for a Christian? That's good. What would your answer be? I told him this, I quoted, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. He was like, I think he was a little floored. I think he was testing me to see, are you really a preacher? I told him where I'd been, what I'd done, all that stuff, immaterial. So I said, tell me your story. So for the next hour, on the flight, that I wanted to sit back and chillax. I heard his story. 
He gave a good, you know, decent testimony of salvation. I would insert once in a while, you know, a few verses of Scripture and stuff. And then he said, tell me your story. So for the next two hours, <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. For the next little while, I told him the story of how, how God had, had saved me. I told him at six years old, I made a profession. And I was baptized in a river. And uh, he said, you were baptized? I said, yeah. I said, but. I said, hang on. He enjoyed interrupting, but I said, hang on. I said, that was a profession. It was not a possession. So later on in my life, I realized that if I died without Jesus, that I would go to hell. It has a very unusual name. It starts with a D, and that's about all I can remember. Some people are confused. They're deceived about salvation. I don't think he was. I think he's misguided in some ways. But I think one day I'll see that young man in heaven. That's, that's my heart. That's my gut feeling, my heart feeling. Because of, his te- because of his testimony. There's deception about a relationship with the Lord. Deception. Listen to this. There's a deception about our worship too. Coming to the house of the Lord... Is not about being entertained. I just want to throw that out. Everybody understand what I'm saying? Now, I I enjoy making people laugh, but I'm not here to entertain you. I'm going to give you the truth, and we'll laugh in the you know in the midst of it. But we come to God's house. It's not about being entertained. It's about it's about worshiping the Almighty, All Knowing, All Powerful, Only Living God. That's why we're here. But here's the problem. There's a lot of people that are misguided and they're deceived about that. Here's what Jesus said, the very first thing right out of the gate. Look at it again, verse 4. Jesus answered and said to them, take heed, pay attention. He says, pay attention that no man deceive you. Now, there's another very important word in that statement. You know what it is? Man. Take heed that no man deceive you. So what is he saying? Jesus is saying, don't let man deceive you, but what you need, what we need to do, all of us need to do, we need to stick with, stay with, adhere to, follow, let it be our God, the instruction manual. God has given us His Word. Man can easily be deceived by man's ideas. And man's philosophy. But when we have it written down in his word, it's clear. We may not understand everything, and I'll be the first to admit, I don't understand everything in the word of God. But I know enough to not allow another man to deceive me. They'll say something, and I'll say, where are you getting that from? Where did you get your information from? And if we have enough responsibility about us or responsibility and enough initiative within ourselves, we will know right off the bat if it's God's word or if it's an idea of man. Does everybody understand what I'm just saying? 
So he says, take heed, let no man deceive you. Big problem today. So as we understand the times, that intensifies and it increases. There are more cults and more different types of religions in our world today than there ever has been before. Most of the cults have begun within the last 60 years. Yeah, last 60 years. Let no man deceive you. Let me mention this and then I'll, I'll, I'll close. I'm running out of time. Notice this secondly. Not only is there deception, secondly there's false Christ. Now if you'll notice on the screen I did not capitalize Christ. I did that on purpose. Because they're false. Okay? False Christ. Now, I know that Jesus Christ, his name should always be capitalized. That is a proper name, a divine title that's given to him. But when we're talking about false Christ, they don't deserve a capitalization. It's a pet peeve of mine, all right? It, I have no biblical basis for it. That's just Haskettology, like 204. Listen, in the past 110 years, there have been no less. Listen to this now. This number will stagger you. In the last 110 years, there have been no less than 1,800 different leaders from around the world that have claimed to be Christ. In the last 110 years, more than 1,800 they give themselves a divine title. However, they have no merit. They don't have any substance. There's only one God and there's only one true living God. There's only one Jesus. There's only one Holy Spirit. God himself said in Isaiah chapter 45 verse 6, I am the Lord and there is none else. I don't know how in the world they get away with it. Well, then again, I do. Number one, they didn't look in the book. They're deceived. They've deceived themselves and they deceived everybody else by calling themselves a Christ. There's only one. And he's the one that lives in my heart. Let me ask you this. Does he live in your heart? These things are developing, and there's much more within the text. I'll have to deal with it later. What about the wars? Oh, I got a lot of information about that. Rumors of wars, pestilence, famine, earthquakes, and all that. Hey, can I throw this out at you? Did you know within the last 24 hours there have been 33 earthquakes? I looked it up this morning. Yeah, in the last 24 hours, 33 earthquakes across the world. Are you ready? Are you prepared? If, as we understand the times that Jesus has presented to the disciples here, we understand the times in our day. These things intensify. We see them happening. I just have one question for you. Are you ready to meet God? Because He's coming. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you again this morning. We're grateful for your blessings. And thank you, Lord, for your, uh, the truth of your word. I pray, Lord, that you would take these thoughts, Lord. Please, please, please use them today. May they bring glory to your, your holy, divine, and precious name. Lord, it is imperative 
that each of us is prepared to meet you. I don't know the day or the hour of your coming. I don't know the day or the hour of our final day of living. But Lord, you do. Our days are numbered. And it is of the utmost importance that we're prepared to meet you. Lord, I ask that you would use the message today. Lord, may it glorify your name. And Lord, may we search our hearts today with the help of the Holy Spirit to assure our preparedness for your coming. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. With our heads still bowed, eyes closed just a moment. Miss Debbie's going to play when she's ready. This is invitation time. It is perhaps, I think, personally, the most important time in the service. I wonder how prepared are you to meet God? You know, Jesus is coming. He said He was coming. He, he told His disciples, hey, these are the things to look out for. Understanding the times. We, we're there right now. There's, uh, we understand. I'm not going to rehash everything and then the message. If God's spoken to your heart today, I want you to do something for me, all right? Well, let me just ask you, did He speak to your heart? If He did, would you raise a hand? Did He show you something, tell you something? All right, I'm going to ask you to do something, all right? If, if God's spoken to your heart, this, that's an invitation for you to come and right here in this place, in this altar, and let's, let's have a word of prayer. Can we do that? God's spoken to your heart today. There's a, there's a need in your life. You can make that seat. I get it. You can make that seat in the altar if you'd like. But I, I, I want you to spend some time, just the next, next two, three minutes, talking to the Lord right now about your own heart being prepared, especially in the area of deception. I know we spent a lot of time on that because this, this day in which we live in, there's a lot of deception going on. I mean, we can look every which way we turn, we see deception. Jesus saw it in the Pharisees. He called them hypocrites. Don't be like that. Don't be deceived about these things that we talked about today, about, about your life, about, about salvation, about, about holy living, about our worship, about anything, about our relationship with God. Don't be deceived about any of those things. Well, let the Holy Spirit of God work in your heart this morning. Would you let Him do that? Let me ask you this question. Or I actually I have two questions today. Right now. How many would be able to confidently raise a hand and say, Pastor, if something were to happen to me and, and I were to die next week or Jesus were to come next week, I know without any doubt, I know I'd go to heaven. Can you raise a hand? Can you raise that hand high? Oh, God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Is there anybody here, you can put your hands down, is there anybody here this morning that would be honest with me and say, Pastor, something happened to me next week, or Jesus were to come next week, I don't know that I'd go to heaven. But I don't, I don't want to go to hell, but I, would you pray for me? Anyone at all, would you raise that hand right straight up, right back down? Give me the opportunity to pray for you. Anyone, sir, ma'am? 
Thank you. Thank you, sir. I see your hand. Anybody else? For those of you watching online, thank you for tuning in today. I appreciate so very, very much your you're watching our service. Again, it is our goal for you to see Jesus Christ and for you to be blessed by the service today. And if you would like to reach out to us, uh, there's information on your screen. You can do so. And we'll get back to you promptly. Thank you so very much for, for watching. God bless you.